0: This is the Shift Podcast.
1: Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, what should we watch this weekend? Steve Stebbing steps in with a couple of things we definitely should not watch, and he walks the Shift crew through what's new in theaters and then ryan and steve nerd out about star wars visions apparently it's quite amazing and short too 15 minutes unlike the movie we checked out which is on the uh, shift av club which is like one two three four eight nine ten eleven twelve episodes of star wars visions yeah but you can watch it with us check out the podcast are you okay with advertising and advertising and advertising how about accidental stunts Crashing, trains, falling off mountains, making fudge with gravestones, and so much more, including going to space. SpaceX sent somebody further out into space than the space station, and it's like all autopilot, and Tesla can't even drive their cars on autopilot. Hey, all of this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. Thank you for being here. It is time for us to check in on what the hell should we watch this weekend, Steve Stebbing, is here, Stebbing.ca is his website, and uh, it's time for us to go. He's in Penticton. Let's do this. Let's do this. It's very bearded. <laughs> Consistently. It's consistent. Yeah. It's like every day. Anything? you are <laughs> getting there. It's starting to grow. Getting longer. I know. I can't go that long. That's like a year's worth of growth. My goodness. <laughs> it is. You're a beardo. You're officially a beardo it's, at this point. That's two months. No. That's well, two months. It was you didn't shave it two months ago.
2: I not down to like nothing, but that's two months. I, this is great for a, for an audio show.
1: <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Well, Ryan O'Donnell is sitting there very upset because he doesn't have the facial hairs, and um, Steve Stabbing has big beardo, bushy beard. And, and uh, I'm doing it for to all, us. Mine out. For yes, all thanks, of us. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Take the, care of us. Okay, beard. we have. <laughs> our beard um we have the av club coming up shortly where we're gonna pick another mm. another movie and to uh quote nate hawk steve western movies question mark question mark question mark oh baby i love western movies spin that wheel let's do this coming up shortly first let's get started with what the hell should we watch this weekend and joe bell hey dad can i talk to you for a minute
0: I'm getting picked on by these guys at school.
3: Why is that? Because I'm not like them. It's got to be more than that. Why are you like that? Because them? I'm, I'm different. That's as not as, an answer, Jade. No. Because I'm gay. We won't let nature take its course, all right? It'll work itself out. Joe, what?
2: It's not gonna work itself out.
0: With your quiet boy. What about therapy?
1: I don't need therapy, they do.
0: Suggin on
1: uh incredibly grounding story that... um it's certainly in the news topics these days.
2: Yeah, and this is a true story it's based on as well. And it's kinda of, it feels kinda of rare that when Mark Wahlberg does Uh, these straight-up dramas like this one is because, I mean, he did Instant Family, which was more leaning towards the family comedy side of everything. And, uh, I mean, this one is is a film with a message as he plays like a blue-collar dad who um, goes on a solo walk across the United States uh, as kind of a crusade against uh, against, uh, bullying of the LGBTQ community. Uh, and uh, I mean, the movie kind of depicts him as he's coming uh, at first, like finding out that his son is gay and coming to to grips with that and everything, and and uh, kind of reforming that relationship. And uh, it's actually some really good work from uh, Mark Wahlberg, who has to like remind us every now and then that he's not just kind of this uh, action beefcake, and that he um, he has some soul within him. And uh, I think uh, Joel Bell does a, a very good job of
1: that all right next on the list dear evan hansen have you ever felt like nobody was there
0: um no one's on your cast now we can both pretend we're friends i'm
1: sorry about my brother have you ever felt
3: forgotten in
1: the middle
3: of nowhere i wish everything was different i wish i was part of something i wish that
0: anything Mm. i said mattered
1: have you ever felt like you could disappear,
0: dear Evan Hansen? Yeah, yeah, that's mine. I'll, I'll, I'll just take it. Wait, I really, I need that back. You could fall.
1: All right, well, tell us about dear Evan. We've got the the super schmoopy movies to kick us off here today. Yeah.
2: Uh, This one's based on a Broadway musical uh, that um, the lead star of this movie, uh, Ben Platt, was also in that one. Given that that Broadway musical was made like 10, 12 years ago, I think, and now Ben Platt is pushing 28 years old and playing a high school student in this movie, and let's just say that it doesn't work. He comes off more like a high school counselor (laughs) rather than one of the peers. Yeah. yeah, it, it's rough, and it really distracts from this movie that it's basically about uh, a loner, uh, Evan Hansen, who uh, connects with another loner, and then the next day that that kid commits suicide. But then the two they get kind of confused as being best friends, and he is unable to let that to to uh, tell the truth on that one, and the lie starts to spiral out of the control and get bigger and everything. And it's it's got like a good message behind it, but it feels so badly manipulative and like it's using it in the wrong direction. And this movie gets cringeworthy and rubs you the wrong way as it progresses. And don't see this movie. It's just it's really not worth it. Um, Maybe wait for streaming. I just I have serious issues with this movie.
1: What the hell should we not watch this weekend? Yeah, Holy right? steve stabbing.ca is his website. If you want to follow along on his blog, let us get into. Uh, oh, first of all, can we just talk about Melissa McCarthy? How she's sure. really expanded her, her wings here in the acting career. Yes. Um, the, yeah, the perfect uh, strangers show with the, mm-hmm. with the the creepy and the drugs. Like she's really doing amazing things
2: yeah absolutely and if if anyone hasn't seen it you can you ever forgive me is such a really good movie i believe she was nominated for an academy award for that one and then richard e grant her co-star won one for that movie uh and it's i i think it's the crowning achievement uh, of her career is that one um but it doesn't always work out for her in the drama department as i'm about to get into
1: well, and you got to stretch out and try, right? Not all of them are hits. This is The Starling. How
0: are you sleeping? Terrific. Are you eating okay? Yes. I don't know if they give Michelin stars to mental health facilities, but if they did... How's he doing, really? It's going to take some time. He's been through a lot. And what about you? Oh, I'm fine. So
1: right, People have been noticing you're so acting right. sort funny you're and distracted only one way to fly. is it the script or is it her acting
2: it, you know i would say it's the script and the direction that fail this movie because both melissa mccarthy and her co-star uh the one that plays her husband in this one chris o'dowd from the it crowd are both way better performers than this movie would lead you to believe and in a supporting role playing the playing uh, the veterinarian who's a big character in this one is Kevin Klein and how do you waste Kevin Klein like we don't get him in movies very often anymore so you can't waste him when you bring him on like it's just I mean this movie plays to the rafters for its emotional scenes and it feels predictable and like it really should have dialed itself back quite a bit and um, yeah it's just another like especially after talking about Dear Evan Hansen we have our second
1: cringeworthy movie of the week all right Uh, something good maybe with Cruella question mark (laughs) (laughs) I dug it (laughs) from the very beginning I realized I saw the world differently than everyone
2: else that didn't sit well with some people but I wasn't for everyone
0: I guess they were always scared that I'd
1: be a psycho. Uh, Cruella, the doggies, the crazy lady, all of the uh, history of the character. Thumbs up, thumbs down, and what the hell should we watch this weekend?
2: You know what? I dug this movie. Uh, I think it's uh, it looks incredible. It looks like a billion dollars. It's so well put together. The soundtrack is actually really cool for it. Um, Emma Stone's British accent comes and goes, which is weird. Um, but, uh, and I, I guess I going to have to get over my feelings about Disney humanizing their villains and making all of these villain origin stories where we're supposed to feel sorry for them or, or understand their plight of how they became an evil human being. And, um, but, but I mean, for the most part, this one is very enjoyable. Maybe for the kids, it might be a little tough cause it is over two hours long.
1: All right. Now, Ryan O'Donnell is wiggling in his chair, so excited to chat about this next one, and uh, we might set him free on it. Star Wars Visions.
2: You've been guided by the Force since you were born. At last, the moment arrives. first time I've confronted such darkness.
1: I love that sound effect. Okay, this is Ryan O'Donnell and Steve Stebbing. They're going to talk about this one.
2: Yeah, I mean, seven uh, seven different uh, Japanese animation studios collaborate to make, uh, I mean, just short little episodes. They're just like 15 minute episodes, but um, the epic scale on which these episodes are done. I mean, it kicking off with the with uh, the duel, I think, is the best possible thing for this series. To just get you into the groove of things. I don't know. That's it's what I thought.
0: So cool. <laughs> it's so cool. It's so good. <laughs> Me and my friend were screaming on the couch watching this. Like... I- who would have thought? Well, not it's such obvious, but like horrors mm-hmm. combined with Japanese animation and samurai stuff, like a katana lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness!
2: Yeah, and and playing into the lore a bit more the the light side, the dark side, the Sith. What exactly yeah. that means? Uh, what exactly it means in their beliefs? Are they truly even evil at their heart? I mean the first the first story kind of plays with that. That notion not too deeply but it just gives that little flicker of that thought and what I think is really interesting about this one is uh, we talked about it off air how um, it, it's really lending back to the origins of where, where George Lucas got his ideas to make Star Wars uh, largely being Kurosawa's uh, hidden fortress and this kind of brings it all full circle by being very Kurosawa like like, uh, there's kind of Rashomon moments. There's just like so many Very different much. things within the Kurosawa um, oeuvre that just kind of appears in these these little shorts.
1: You guys good? You done?
0: <laughs> yeah. I could talk about this. I could talk about yeah. this for the remainder of the entire show. That's how good this really? is. You got to watch yeah, it. It's on Disney Plus. Check it out.
1: Okay. No!
2: Thank you. Uh, I own that like a badge. I'll take it.
1: <laughs> Very good. It's
0: the time for the AV club. Uh, yeah, we're gonna get together and we're gonna all watch a movie. The last uh, last edition, we watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which was fantastic. We had a lot of fun there. Uh, but we got to pick a new theme, and I was thinking, let's do a theme of uh, movies that you don't really see too often anymore. Except recently, I saw Clint Eastwood's got a new western out. So I thought. Why don't we take a trip to the wild wild west and have ourselves a celebration of some western classics, some movies. So, let us What's that out... accent? First of all. I don't know. That was like a weird Savannah, Texas thing. That
1: was me trying to do the French accent that your dad said yeah. was the worst one he's ever heard.
0: It was. Yeah. Okay, let me try that again. Let's bring out that there tiny wheel so we can find out what movies we need to watch this here week the tiny wheel actually does have movies
1: it's so cute no one seems to mind
0: it is the cutest wheel in the world and this week it is packed with 10 10 different western films uh, to give you an idea of some of the movies on here, we have uh, Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, True Grit. I put the 2010 version on there. Uh, 310 to Yuma, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Ooh. Kid, uh, Shane. This movie just called Shane. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've never seen it, so I have no it's idea. A genius. And
1: it's a genius. Which, right? by the way, be careful if you Google Shane movies. Just saying. Yeah. There is a porn yeah. there is a porn star lady by the name of Shane.
2: Oh. <laughs> so we're not doing that movie. No, we're not doing different that movie.
1: Movie. Okay. Totally okay. Different movie. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Totally different Western. Let's check in. Let's let's keep it that
0: yeah. way. Um <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that, Shane. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we got a bunch of different movies on here. Uh do you guys have any uh movies you're hoping to select here? I three really ten from Yuma. 310 to you. Which is yeah. also I've a never remake. seen
1: it. Um, I would also... Well. Is it really? I would also choose the shortest one. <laughs> so not Hateful Eight.
0: Not Hateful Eight. That yeah, that movie's a total what? Two and a the half. The had like
2: three and a half. Yeah. Something
0: like that. It's a great movie though. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, the, I, I haven't really seen most of these. I've seen the remakes, but I have never really watched old westerns. So I think this is a win-win for me anyway. Uh, so Leo, I think without further ado, let's... Spin the tiny wheel and find out what movie we got to watch. Oh. Ooh. I, uh, you know, I grabbed a trailer for all the movies to see, you know, which, whatever one we get a trailer of. Uh, but mm-hmm. this one has mm-hmm. the shortest trailer.
1: You is guys, it three amigos? Catherine two... says she wanted three amigos. That's the best western of all, she said.
0: Actually, I should have I should have put that on there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this one has the shortest trailer because honestly, all you really need to know what movie this is is a soundtrack and a few words. Let's hear the trailer. The good
1: the bad the ugly
0: The bad news 1966 Spaghetti Western. Uh, mm. it is long. It is a long movie. I mean, all these Westerns are crazy long. That's the thing.
1: All the uh, movies so you pick are long. That's just two, two hours and forty one minutes? Why is this yeah. even on the wheel? This is but, uh, but uh, Ryan, help me some, some of I'm us have Uber. things to do in life. We don't get two hours and forty one minutes of TV all week. Yeah, but Steve. <laughs> let alone one here. sitting. <laughs>
2: This is one of Shit, the biggest films of all time, though. Exactly. Is. This is, is when
0: I look up the best Westerns of all time to make sure that we're all watching a good movie. This is on every single list. And when I picked Green Lantern and I was like, let's have fun and watch a bad movie, you said, no, we can't watch bad movies. We have to watch good movies. And now it's the long movies. You got to help, got to get some breathing room here. Split
1: it up. No, I really don't think so. Two settings. <laughs> I, I, no, this is wrong. How long was Master and Commander? Roughly the same, yeah. God, we need (laughs) to get you a hobby.
0: This is a hobby. (laughs) This is my (laughs) hobby. Anyway, this is off. This is a you know Civil War uh, like treasure hunt movie. I've never seen this movie. I know that when it first came out, it got really mixed reviews. But then, but that was because people were so tired of seeing the same kind of Western movies at the time. And then now, it's considered to be an absolute. Uh, masterpiece. I mean, the score is legendary. Uh, is it uh what's is? Is it the Tarantino's uh, score guy as well, Steve? I can't remember his uh, name. Ennio Morricone. Or, yeah, is it him? Yes, it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, one of the best composers of all time for film. Um, yeah. So look, this movie is consistently rated one of the best of all time. So yes, it is long, but it will be worth your time. Hopefully.
1: Steve Stebbing, you have ten seconds to tell us tell us on it.
2: Oh my God. I mean, it's Clint Eastwood, Eli Wallach, and probably one of the greatest uh, villains of all time, Lee Van Cleef. Those who know, know what I'm talking about.
0: This
1: is the Shift Podcast. It is time for Are You OK? Mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. Are you OK with advertising?
0: Ooh. Uh, yeah. I mean, in, in doses, I, I really appreciate creative ads. Like I remember the first time watching the old spice crazy commercials. Uh, I thought those are amazing and it drove up their sales something like 2000% over the first month after those. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I love when people get creative, but sometimes there are just far too many ads.
1: In all fairness, nobody was actually using old spice since the early eighties. So yeah, so, 2,000% then- was like, that was pretty easy at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You know what? I struggle with it if I'm going to be honest. And I realized that I work in an industry that uses advertising to pay for what we do. So I think advertising is really great because it exposes you to things. I like, I didn't know I could get a lot more that did that. You can get a blender that also makes margarita. Like, I don't know. Like there, Like there are things that are really great about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. but at the same point though, it exposes though, you. That's a good point. This nonstop barrage of images—if you know what blows my mind would be that you delivery folks, truck drivers, and delivery people—you see so many ads on the side of the road all the time. The billboards, like, does, do you just tune it out at that point? It's just that's the stuff that I struggle with. I can't. You can't, the very first story on my Instagram is somebody that I want to watch. The second one is a three-part advertisement, right? Like Facebook is cramming this stuff down our throats and it's, it's become absurd. Even, you know, I going to watch a video online and it used to be, you'd watch a short little commercial and then you could skip it, but now you can't skip it. And by the way, there's three of them, you know? And yeah, I know it's hypocritical really because like, it pays for our world.
0: It makes them. It makes things go around, and like brands have to get creative now. Instead, so they know people have YouTube Premium, so they reach out to YouTube creators and say, "Hey, we would like you to do a paid sponsored content and put it inside your video." So it's not something you can skip. There is an ad now built into what you watch uh, on YouTube and stuff like that. Everything is paid, and I always feel weird about like. When I look up, uh, let's say, a pair of Nike shoes, uh, you know, and then I check Facebook in the next 10 seconds and there's already an ad for Nike shoes at the very top. That freaks me out.
1: I I struggle with those things. Like, I don't struggle with good, as Ryan would say, good, wholesome advertising that puts a product in front of you and shows you how great the product is. Uh, So I, I just think that there's a fine line and getting buried in it is... You know, I so I think it's really great, but I think it's really not great at once. How's that for sitting on the fence? Man. Okay. Um, In order to catch someone's eye with an ad, you need to think outside of the box. And in this case, the box could be outside of the coffin. It was Sunday night football, and the Panthers hosted the Saints. After the game, fans noticed a large truck driving around uptown Charlotte with an interesting advertisement. Don't get vaccinated. What? The truck was actually advertising a funeral home. Now, it turns out this funeral home doesn't actually exist, but it's a thing. The ad had a, a casket on there, and it said, don't get vaccinated because they were selling funeral home services. It went viral on Twitter, so NBC9 looked into it. It turns out the marketing stunt ultimately tied back to a local healthcare provider.
0: It's a little bit of reverse psychology.
1: They said, don't get vaccinated.
2: A truck with the message, don't get vaccinated, seen all over Uptown on Sunday.
3: Oh, if it's my my way of thinking, I might actually go to that, that link and take a look at it. So now you've got what you would probably not get an audience to pay attention, to pay attention.
2: When you go to the funeral home's website, it says "Get vaccinated now. If not, see you soon," and redirects to StarMed Healthcare's website. <laughs> StarMed has been on the front lines of the pandemic, testing and vaccinating tens of thousands of people, and sending out funny and at times snarky tweets. But they're actually not responsible for this marketing stunt.
3: We got phone calls about you know all this excitement uh, yesterday
0: about. Uh, hey, we, we we got redirected to your your site, so we had to do a little
3: homework and uh, found out that this this company had a really good experience uh, with StarMed, and uh, and actually used us as their their landing spot for this advertisement. So,
2: Chris Dobbins, the chief of relations and response for StarMed, says it's the advertising company Oakley.
1: Wow. The timing of the ad was pretty amazing. Um, And I see, that to me is really creative. Now, I get it. The view might be bad taste. But even if it were legit in a funeral home, right, I I almost would say, "Hmm, fair ball, creative advertising. See, I don't find that one as bad as some of the other ones, which create the problem for you, right? They try to scare you and fear monger you into things, right? You know, if you're driving with your child in a car seat right now, you could kill them. More tonight at 10, right? Like, it like, it's so yeah. important, yeah, tell me now. That's crap. That's crap. Right? No, this that's not appropriate. Is genius. Uh, Trucker Dan says, yes, Shane, there's so much advertising while I drive my truck. I'm inundated with it day and night. I just tune it. Out. I learned to tune it out long ago. Um, I don't even read the ads anymore. I see them every day driving up down Highway 1. At a certain point, you just stop paying attention. Trucker Jake in Vancouver. Um, it's kind of like a store in the mall, right, where you go past... The mall or the store in the mall every day but then all of a sudden something's boarded up and you're like what store used to be there and you don't remember right yeah and then they've already got
0: the ad for the mall itself and just rent here and uh, yeah it's like what it's like you get hmm. brainwashed the second you open the door to the mall
1: wow yeah well and yeah i mean it's the way our brain works right so they take full advantage yeah, of it does. and i get that i mean i, I certainly believe in good business there is a point, though, and it, it, here, uh, just for the the poignancy of the ad, there's been 140,000 COVID cases in Charlotte and over 1,100 deaths. So clearly trying to have a message, but those health programs in the states are for profit, right? So they're going to market to get vaccinated so they make the monies. That's what they do. Uh, before we continue on with Are You Okay?, I did want to clean up our movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Really Long Ugly is available on what platform we didn't say that part
0: oh uh amazon prime it is available on there
1: so amazon prime if you want to watch the good and the bad and the ugly and you have three days um to get that done and i did ask the question of ken in calgary who watches that movie three days
0: we no we got a week yeah a week to get it done
1: no no three days to actually watch the movie um oh Ken Calgary said that he watches that movie The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly three times a year because he owns it. I asked, is Ken a Smiths fan? Ken replied, I must admit, I do listen to the Smith song How Soon Is Now. Thank you, Ken. Good man. See, I knew it. I knew it. 877-399-9898 You want to get in on our Are You Okay? You can. Just like Trucker Dan and Ken did right there. Are You Okay? Are you okay with stunts? Yeah, absolutely.
0: I, I've only, I, I used to be an actor, right? And I mm. did you have always wanted to. No, well, I never did anything stunt, stunty. But I was on an episode of Heartland, right? And they had all the horses there, and they had oh. the stunt workers with the horses, which these are like the most beautiful, like well-trained horses ever. You see them like galloping and doing all that. I'd love to do that. However. I was in a heritage minute and they oh. didn't have stunt actors for this.
1: You saw G-day the medic tent for real. Tell on. the story.
0: They did. So I was uh, just an extra and I was in full, like authentic, real world war II garb. I was wearing a real Canadian soldier uh, outfit, wearing a real right. I was holding a real gun, completely real. Like have, if, if it, you could not have this in real life uh, in Canada legally And we were reenacting the Juneau beach landing just in Calgary. And we were just running in the sand and they had a sand cannon blasting and I was not prepared. I don't know how the soldiers did. I got a newfound appreciation because I overexerted myself and I had to go (laughs) to the doctor because I almost passed out. Uh, Like I had full on like breathing problems. It was crazy. And I was wearing, I had half the weight on that a real soldier would have had. Uh, so a newfound appreciation, but doing all of the action work there on that set is one of my favorite things I, I've ever done in my life. It was amazing.
1: Very cool. I would like to take advantage yeah. of this moment to acknowledge I, in Ottawa this weekend, I saw a, um, a, a couple looked like a couple. Uh, the, the woman was running, she was wearing like jogging. She was wearing, you know, like the, the yoga pants and the jogging yoga shirt looking thing. And there she was jogging. Her jogging partner was clearly a, a Canadian soldier in his full gear with his pack on. Wow. Jogging with her. Training. That's amazing. <sighs> that's amazing. Anyway, that's a little off topic. Are you okay with stunts? Every action movie, including Ryan, when he is acting, he needs a good lineup of stunt people. Well, you need some stunts in the movies, right? They can be possible. <sighs> movies. Uh, cam. Yeah. <laughs> oh. That's a typo. Great writing. By accident, they can be simple action moments or crazy stunts like those in Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise is known for his ability to defy aging and pull off some incredible stunts. He also climb, climb climbed, oh, climbed. Dear. this was There's a, a sentence
0: I added in last minute. So the, let's have some the fun world's tallest <laughs>
1: tower and held on a plane yeah. taking off and more. But why does he do all this? He told Conan. And then I started making movies, and I was actually doing Taps, and there was stunt guys on there. I was like, "You guys, there's a place you learn how to do this." And for me,
0: it's it's about storytelling. And I I, I grew up watching, you know, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, you know, Abbott Costello. Right, right. You know, these they're they're kind of work the that they did the yeah. classics, and they they made me laugh, and they had tension. Um, so these things that I want to I want to really build stories around it that's why i started producing mission impossibles
1: it's very cool he doesn't need to do his stunts and he's broken many things doing them many mission impossible 7 is coming soon and you know the stunts are going to be crazy just earlier this year the mission impossible 7 crew threw a giant train off of a cliff
3: Tom Cruise has brought another big-budget Hollywood stunt to Britain... ...where he's filming the next Mission Impossible film. This was the moment a steam locomotive hurtled towards the end of the line... ...over a disused quarry in the Peak District. The stunt was months in the making... ...but took only seconds to play out... ...as it was filmed by nearby helicopters. And train lovers needn't worry. No real locomotives were injured... The engine was a life-size model built especially for the film. The scene will appear in Mission Impossible 7, which is due to be released next May.
1: You know they can do that with computers now.
3: (laughs)
0: Yeah, but that's the thing with Mission Impossible. That's why those movies are still so good, is because Tom Cruise goes, no, 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 get me the real train. And the video is incredible like this is not a small train this is a a massive locomotive i imagine in the movie they'll probably cgi in a bunch of extra cars at the back but the front of the train was a real train they just flew off a cliff
1: well that stunt went exactly as planned the next one didn't pictures from the horns bridge roundabout in chesterfield show a train carriage wedged into a railway bridge that was a prop train being used for the movie it wasn't measured properly, so it slammed into the bridge by accident. That crash caused traffic to be diverted for several hours as Cruz tried to free the crunched up pretend train that was too big. No word if Cruz is undergoing training yeah, to be a conductor <laughs> for this one. That's good.
0: I we need a We're we need on. a pun button. Do we? We need a pun button. I think we do. Hmm.
1: I think we should. Yeah. I got nothing. We'll go with this.
0: Are you okay? Oh, that. That works too.
1: Yeah. Are you okay? Are you okay with graveyards?
0: Yes. Uh, Walking through. I actually find walking through one pretty peaceful. My grandma always told me to do it and I never really understood. But you walk through and you kind of take a second to look at, the the you know the tomb the, the tombstones and all that and mm-hmm. you kind of like feel like you get to know someone in a way like you know to see a picture i think it's kind of mm-hmm. neat it's not something i would do every day though that's for sure so, once in a blue this moon. is where you make friends
1: yeah. do you talk to them
0: no <laughs> <laughs> hello <not>. mr
1: johnson <laughs>
0: ah or 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 other living people that are just walking around the graveyard there is a gravestone where about it's... going to the cemetery and and writing poetry.
1: (laughs) Have you ever seen a gravestone where it's like obviously done for a couple and, but they like the, the husband died long ago. It was like, here lies Frederick, you know, born in 1925, died in 1972, something like that, or died. in the guy was like, I don't know, 60 in 1950. And then, It's sort of got room for his wife there. But clearly she moved on because she would have died years ago and there's nobody buried on the other side. Oh,
0: (laughs) that's tragic. Oh, my gosh. I've not seen that. I believe there are examples of that.
1: That's a real life thing. Like you, you, are your partner and you get the thing and you buy the spot. And then, by the way, they die early. And now you've remarried and fell in love. Which husband do you choose? I don't know. Well, graveyards are eerie. By the way, I would suggest go walking through a graveyard, too. Very peaceful. And if you ever had a bad day and thought your bad day was bad, just look around the graveyard. Your bad day is not so bad. Uh, Every graveyard has hundreds of headstones. Some are new. Some are really old. I like those ones. One headstone in Michigan has finally returned to its graveyard after being missing for 150 years. Turns out it was being used to make fudge. The headstone belonged to Peter in 1869. A few years later, the city opened up a new cemetery and the headstone was lost in the move. Hope they didn't lose Peter. Can't blame Canada Post for that one. Here is the bizarre story from Michigan Live.
0: It showed up in a family's home when a auctioneer went to assess the property for an auction. And no one in the family seemed to know how they came to be in possession of it. The auctioneer put the headstone on his website. And a man in California, Walter Anderson, saw that on the website and thought, geez, that's a strange thing to auction, and wondered if perhaps it belonged here in the cemetery and whether or not there was a monument.
1: Walter Anderson is a genealogy enthusiast who is always looking on auctioneer websites. Certain things catch my attention, such as when I was going through and all of a sudden up popped this uh, headstone. But when that headstone popped up and I saw that it was Lansing, that's when I went to do a genealogical search and all the information just started rolling in. And I'm really glad that the the city of Lansing and the fathers-to-be and everybody in charge agreed to put the headstone back.
0: And then the auctioneer uh, agreed to pull it from the website, and to take it out of circulation for sale.
1: Uh, that is absolutely remarkable to think that that is a thing. Um, yeah. But how do you have right. it in your house and not go like, "Hey, well, who's who's this?" Right? For all those years. Yeah. <laughs> and let me just borrow this to
0: make my own homemade fudge. <laughs> that's just yeah. That's a weird right? person. Whoever is using that.
1: Well, and what a talking point. Oh, nice headstone. Nice coffee table. Okay, um, that's remarkable. This text comes in. It says, on average, how many people are dead in a cemetery? Thank you very much. I would imagine, hopefully, most everybody. I think he... No, it's a joke at the very end. I, yeah. I think he said all of them. Yeah. Well, most everybody. I mean, because some people will be there walking around, right? So you hope. Anyway. Dad jokes coming at you on the Friday shift. My goodness. Go for a walk in the cemetery and make snow angels, says John. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Like
0: six people have texted the, uh, I'm okay with graveyards. After all, everyone's dying to go there joke. Like six people have texted that joke. That's nice.
1: (laughs) And there's a Morrissey joke. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Sense of humor. Well done, everybody.
0: Andrew Ferreira is weird. So weird, he loves science more than sleep. And other people. It's time for Andrew Ferreira's Weird Science.
1: Andrew C. Ferreira is back. He's out of the cage. Andrew, how are you? Yep. Oh. Come on here i'm good thank you very much for asking working hard being a student getting studenter Uh, and smarter my brain is
3: uh growing by the day oh dear i know this is a a side effect of the education they said
1: yeah well there's always an impact isn't there there is all right well let's use your big head and tap into a little bit of space stuff here on weird science uh where do you want to go? I think this is kind of cool. Last week we heard the news about SpaceX not only going to space but they're going higher and further than anybody else and staying up longer.
3: Yeah, so SpaceX uh launched their in my opinion half appropriately named, half inappropriately named Inspiration4 mission. Uh appropriately named because it was called Inspiration4. The mission was meant to be an inspiration. They raised a whole lot of money for St. Jude's uh, Children's Hospital Research Center in the States. And there are four people, Inspiration Four. Nice. nice. Um, it was also the first ever uh, space flight, or yeah, space flight where everybody who participated in the space flight was not an astronaut. None of them. They were essentially normal, everyday schmucks like you and me. Uh, a couple of them have had pilots training. Uh, one of them was a fighter pilot, test pilot, uh, but none of them had had formal um astronaut training, and that's a whole other ordeal. Uh generally in order to get to that point, you've gotta, you know, do your fighter pilot bit, and then you've got to go through a lot more uh extra rigorous training to be labeled an astronaut. Uh, but I think it's a I don't think it's the turning point. Um, I think it'll be seen as the beginning of a broader turning point in sending people to space who uh, 10 years ago, you would look at and go, oh, no, no, nope, no, nope, they're not going to do that. No, nope, that's bad. Uh, spaceflight is, you know, come to a point now where we're almost, where I think we're almost at the top of the hill on the roller coaster, that very first hill that always scares the peanuts out of me. Uh, we're almost at the top of that hill um, where we're starting to see now that with enough, you know, with just, you know, a general training regimen, just a few weeks, maybe a month or two of training, uh, we can send most people into space, and the computers will do most of the work for you. And that was the case with the inspiration four mission. Um, and but of
1: all the of all the budget cuts though, if you're like, you know what? we're spending three billion. We want to spend two million nine hundred ninety nine thousand eight hundred. You know, the pilot doesn't seem like the position to cut.
3: No, but the thing with uh, SpaceX's Dragon capsule is the whole shebang is essentially automatic. Um, there is a pilot, yes, but the pilot is in charge of more or less monitoring things, uh, making sure that all of the computer's beeps and boops and ones and zeros are beeping and booping and one and zeroing properly. Um, of course, there's other checks like you know they've got to make sure that their seat belts are, are properly fastened, otherwise you're not gonna have a good time um they also got to make sure that you know their suits are put on right they got to make sure that everything is going right there's no uh visual problems that they can make out but for the most part um, it's not so much a, a cost cut so much as it's a cost um optimization almost <laughs> it's
1: Where, you good getting good at the corporate there buddy
3: well oh, what can I say the schooling's doing the the big brain in well but um,
1: here's the thing though Tesla, same company, can't get the car to drive between the lanes and know what a fire truck is. Correct. Yet they're gonna trust those computers and those programmers to send the pod to space for three days.
3: And they Seems didn't, a little and it, lofty. And it the thing is going to space, comparing that to the rigors of driving in an inner city, for a computer, going to space is easy.
1: Well, there's no fire trucks. That helps.
3: There's no fire trucks. There's no pedestrians who will, you know, randomly jump out. There's no people opening their car doors suddenly. There's no dogs running across the street. Uh, There's a lot less of an immediate kind of uh uh-oh that makes driving AI worried and agitated and make poor decisions. Going to space is a very almost choreographed routine. Uh, thanks to the laws of physics uh, a lot of the things that a spacecraft experiences are well within um you know expectation i mean we can control we don't have to control spacecraft going through the atmosphere of other planets right this is all stuff that the computers are able to take into account because the poss- the, the number of things that can go wrong are just so much fewer hmm. um there's so many fewer little surprises like it's, you know it seems strange you're, when
1: you're talking about space
3: when you're hurtling through, you know, when you're hurtling through space at twenty-five thousand kilometers an hour, there's no real chance of a dog coming out in front of you,
1: hmm. or
3: of a car making a quick left turn in front of you. You'd uh, hope anyway. You'd hope if there was um, somebody, call somebody. Um, but in a way, space is for computers, at least easier. There's just a lot less things that it has to take into account. Uh, a lot of the computer monitoring goes into Uh, You know, monitoring engine output, monitoring position, rotation, uh, orientation, and all of that stuff, NASA and various other space, you know, engineering organizations have worked on for decades. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the notion of manually kind of grabbing the joystick and flying to space, it's not really kind of what happens. The computer does all of it. Like the Dragon spacecraft, for instance, when it docks to the International Space Station, it's all automatic. The computer does it. All the human has to do is kind of verify that the
1: computer is doing everything right. It does raise two questions. Mm -hmm. What happens if someone trips over the power cord, number Uh one? And the second question is, uh, is your computer plugged in when you call IT support? Would be great if they would answer. And I just imagine the dragon capsule calling IT support and saying, uh, we're sorry, we're experiencing higher than expected call volume. Please the approximate
3: hold. wait time is 48 yeah. minutes.
1: Because no one ever picks up the phone and IT call IT support anymore when you call the call center. So I just imagine that they would call in and get put on hold.
3: <laughs> Luckily, they have an entire almost battalion of people uh, whose express job is to sit at the ready in case something were to happen. Mm. Um, so that's the difference, I suppose. I suppose. Um, I suppose, but on the whole, I think that you know this is what I think. This really does open the door for um, is the potential for us to start really d- planning and thinking about dun 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 space manufacturing. Um, space manufacturing is manufacturing in space, which I learned in Big Brain School. Um, I didn't learn that in Big Brain School. I learned that on the Google, um, <laughs> but what space manufacturing allows us to do is to create things that are harder to create on earth because of mainly the force of gravity uh gravity always drags everything down towards the ground at 9.8 meters per second squared it is a drag it is a drag um as you probably know if you've been like me and uh tripped down the stairs um
1: i also know it drags on me much more after covid
3: oh yeah oh yeah Anyway, enough of the self-eulogizing. Um, the the cool thing about space is that if you want to say grow crystals, um, and not just
1: crystals <laughs> to you know, I, I thought about Breaking Bad. Okay, sorry. I know you
3: did not Breaking Bad, although probably in the future that will happen. Um, but where's will, your
1: crystal meth lab in space?
3: Oh yeah, that's that's gonna happen in you know like a hundred years. It'll happen, but for now. Uh, what people are generally growing crystals in space for is for stuff like research, for stuff like uh, applied electronics and engineering. On the ground, growing crystals are generally limited by gravity because they've generally got to grow up or sideways or down, and there's always this extra force. But in free fall around the Earth, um, there isn't that extra force. The crystals can grow in a way naturally, if you will without the force of gravity tugging and pulling it uh, whichever direction it wants to go. Um, space is also, it's an ultra clean vacuum. So you can create extremely pure uh, alloys, materials, minerals, that kind of thing. Um, uh, you, can, you can cold weld, which is like welding, but cold. Where in space, you can have two metals touch and they will fuse together. Huh. Uh, this has been a problem in early space missions. Um, but now that we know what it is, it's just essentially on Earth, everything is covered in a layer of oxygen, essentially uh, an oxide layer. And in space, there's nothing to really cover the metal. So when two pieces of metal get intact, the the, ele- the electrons kind of mingle and the molecules kind of mingle because there's nothing there. There's no cushion of air or oxides or anything of that protects that. So that's why that happens. Huh. Um, and the final thing is that in space, you can get really cold and really hot really easily. Uh, Down here on the ground, we've got to use ludicrous amounts of energy to get things cold and to get things hot. But in space, you just kind of leave it outside in the shade minus two hundred and seventy. Bam. No worries. Uh, You want to make it hot. You just kind of leave it out in the sun. Boom. Plus, you know, whatever, 100 degrees. It's easier that way. So I think this also opens up the possibility. And now that we don't need, you know, qualified astronauts really to go up into space every single time, we can start sending scientists researchers engineers who maybe don't have the formal training to go up into space for short stints and conduct little bits of research and i think that's uh, an overlooked uh really exciting possibility that space studies studying in space could be really a thing sooner than we think it is
1: well it yeah, wouldn't take two degrees to get there right you wouldn't need your Astronaut degree, and then your whatever your researching degree that makes oh. sense. I think it's a great point.
3: You just need your, you know, fancy research degree, which you spent many, many thousands of dollars to get. And your brain, uh, at that point is probably extremely large,
1: yeah. But like Andrew's doing right now when he's going to school, okay. He's so, trying. not only can you go up there and research, apparently, you can go up there and have a little nap too. With the space station becoming a hotel,
3: oh, that's coming to the sci fi future that we all dreamed of, uh, where every where you know, there's. Space station's in orbit, and you go up there for a quick jaunt. Um, So what's happening is NASA's kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, uh, and this light is not a good light. It's the light of the International Space Station as it burns up in orbit. Um, The International Space Station is coming towards the end of its service life. Um, Originally, it was rated to be deorbited in 2024, uh, but they're probably going to look to extend that to 2028. After that, it's just essentially going to be a free-for-all, if you will. Uh, Private companies are already working with NASA, uh, testing out various um, types of modules on the International Space Station. Um, Private companies, these aren't necessarily like, this isn't NASA going, we're going to test a new type of NASA thing. This is private companies going to NASA and saying, like uh, Bigelow is one of the ones that I can think of, hey, we've got this inflatable, yes, inflatable uh, module. We want to test how it does in space. Can we fly it up to the ISS and attach it and see what happens? and they're doing it, and it's up there right now, and it's testing right now. Like, these kinds of modules aren't something for uh, some far-off future, you know, in 400 years. Uh, we can see start to see, you know, private space stations uh, begin construction before the end of the decade. Um, a company called Axiom, still here on Earth, maybe not for much longer, um, they've already got a station, they're already starting to build the pieces here on the ground. Um, and they want to, they've submitted, you know, contract, they've, they've uh, replied for contract. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? What are the, what are the cool kids call it? Um,
1: like a RFP or like a. Yeah, R- like,
3: yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, NASA said, hey, we're looking for ideas. And Axiom is one of the companies that's come calling. Um, and Axiom wants to put, you know, a private station up there. And what they plan on doing is actually attaching bits to the International Space Station. Uh, and then when the International Space Station gets deorbited in probably about seven years, uh, Axiom will detach uh, its own modules and reconnect them uh, in space to create its own station. Um, you know Axiom is in this. you look at the heavyweights like Boeing, Boeing is in this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, other you know heavyweight Northrop Grumman is in this. a lot of defense contractors, companies and industries that have a lot of experience with this are already you know looking into creating their own private stations. Uh, I'm sure that some of them will be fancy, hilariously overpriced hotels. Uh, some of them will be research installations. Some of them will probably be covert military labs. Ooh, uh, sneaky. Got everything. Anything is possible now. The, we've proved There's proof now that we can make long-term space habitation work, uh, and the technology around it is just getting better and better and better. Um, so I think it's only a matter of time now. It's not a matter of F or whatever. I think by before the end of the decade, we'll start seeing the first bits and pieces of private space stations uh, go up into orbit. And I think that's pretty exciting.
1: That's pretty cool. All right, let's bring it back down to Earth. We have an interesting science story about history, as in there's uh, some evidence now of some really old dudes kind of hoofing it around. What's the deal?
3: Yeah, so if you're hip and cool with the literature... Um, which I assume almost nobody is because I certainly am not. Um, But there was some reading done uh, with the words and all that. Uh, And apparently fossilized footprints have been uh, discovered, human footprints, if they look very human, uh, they are human footprints um, in in an area in New Mexico. Uh, And scientists are claiming that this is, uh, quote, unequivocal evidence uh, that humans were in North America at least 23,000 years ago. Um, The reason why this could be a very big deal is because up till now, uh, the commonly kind of accepted uh, consensus is that humans arrived in North America from Asia via a landmass called Beringia, uh, Mm -hmm. which is a land bridge that connected Alaska and Russia.
1: It's kind of like that arch of land from Alaska across to Russia that looks like it's there, but not really.
3: It's the Bering Strait now. Uh, but during the Ice Age, when a lot of the water was locked up in polar ice caps that, you know, went down as far south as, like, New York, um, that was land that people walked across. And common consensus is that this happened around 13 to 16,000 years ago. Um, There's plenty of evidence in and around Alaska and all down the west coast of North America and the Great Plains that date to around this time. So it checks out. Um, but these researchers in New Mexico say that Those folks who went in through Beringia were not the first these folks that they found the fossilized footsteps of were and they predate them by up to, you know, eight to nine thousand years. Um, So they were able to date these footprints um, based on uh, layers of plant seeds that were preserved above and below the prints. So the ones below give kind of like, uh, okay, this is the furthest back they could have been. And the ones above give a well; these were deposited above the prints, which means these f- were deposited here after these folks uh, walked this land, uh, and that gives them a twenty-one to twenty-three thousand years ago kind of estimate. Um, they believe that these are probably folks who came up from uh, Central America, Mexico, the southern U.S., who migrated up because during this period, which was known as the Last Glacial Maximum. Um this is when kind of the the last big ice age was at its peak. Um generally if you were anywhere north of like New Mexico, you probably weren't having a very good time. Uh, you're probably pretty cold. Uh but the tropics where they are now were pretty good. Um so a lot of people believe that, you know, central Mexico, uh southern uh South America, Central America, people migrated north from there in search of, you know, fertile hunting grounds and all that uh there is evidence of human activity in caves in central mexico which dates to thirty thousand years ago so that checks out Hmm. so it's entirely believable that people decided to go hey let's go north let's go see uh let's go see what's up there and they probably ran into mammoths and all sorts of funky grasses and stuff santa uh perhaps santa not sure what he'd be doing in new mexico maybe he's got a vacation home there it's possible. Um, it's very possible. But it's super interesting to know that this commonly like before I read this, I was like, yeah, no. If you asked me when I thought humans got North America, I would have been like, yeah, but 10 to 15,000 years ago through Alaska. Uh, but no, it could have been much earlier than that. And so there could have been a lot more uh, to human history on North America than what we previously thought. And, you know, footsteps are the only way that we really have evidence of that now.
1: So there's not any evidence um, that people didn't come from Asia, Russia over the top and down below. It just means that at this point, there is evidence that people came from the South probably first.
3: Probably first is what this uh, big find in uh, White Sands National Park uh, suggests.
1: Yes. That's crazy. That's cool. cool. Wow. Uh, So much interesting information here from Andrew C. Ferreira with Weird Science Brother. Good luck with the schooling. Thanks for taking some time to be with us. And uh, it's great to hear your voice. Um, Time to get back in the cage, buddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know my place.
3: Thanks for listening to The
0: Shift Podcast.
1: Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.